0: So deep dragons, as we know, have nightmare breath. So what nightmare could a deep dragon show you that would certainly put you into the frightened condition? Quick answers for this one.
1: Quick answers. I used to have a recurring nightmare that I was being chased by a girl with no legs when I was a kid.
0: How so slow that... did you run? Mm-hmm? How slow were you running?
1: <laughs> uh, I had, uh, when I was 10, My I was in two casts, so like a cast on both my legs. Oh. So I. Yeah, I had all sorts of like issues and nightmares and insecurities about moving and running. And as soon as I got out of the cast, I joined like track meets and triathlons and biking. Like it was a weird thing for me for a while. So I used to have this recurring nightmare of getting chased. All they would have to do is show that girl and I'd be like, oh, fuck, I'm out.
2: (laughs) I don't know. Probably just being alone. Like that would be just nothingness would be rough for me. (laughs)
0: Just the feeling. Of, yeah. I mean, Just
2: nothingness. That's,
0: that's fine. Yeah. I think for me, it's anytime I feel uh, useless, if somebody needs something, I need to be able to do something, or like I never want to feel like I never stepped up to the challenge. So uh, anything where I'm being restrained or useless and things are happening around me, that would bother me.
1: So don't buy Dan's furniture, is what you're saying. Don't buy
3: Dan's no. furniture.
2: You'll definitely be restrained. Maybe not useless, though. <laughs> Depends
0: how nervous I am, whether or not it's cold. <laughs>
2: It's a mimic the round table Dungeons and Dragons discussion where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our discussion on dragons in Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition. I'm Pepperina and with me today are Adam and Terry. And this episode is called Deep Dragons, Deeply Awful Nightmares. We've previously covered all the chromatic and metallic dragons that you can find in the 5th edition Monster Manual and Fisben's Treasury of Dragons, as well as all sorts of dragon-related creatures and templates. We've done episodes on lore, role-playing, and even famous dragons. You can find all these episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and dozens of other podcast apps. Or you can jump over to the YouTube and dig into the entire playlist on dragons that we've built there. This episode of the It's Mimic podcast digs deep into the Underdark to cover the fifth edition dragon that seems to have replaced the purple dragon of previous editions, the Deep Dragon. So grab your torches, cover your noses and mouths, and mentally steel yourself against your worst fears. But before we get into it, I want to ask, do you like Deep Dragons and their place in the dragon landscape in D&D? Let's
1: roll for you. Sure.
0: Sure i got a natural 20 again
1: i got a natural one
2: i got a two
0: i got two 20s in a row now oh, get a different uh, dice terry yeah, yeah i should have took this one to loaded. it's container. loaded yeah <laughs> yeah and i use it in this not in like a D <laughs> game um uh yeah i loved i love deep dragons i got so much inspiration from them <laughs> i'll go into detail in the episode but yes very excited about deep dragons i think they're great i uh. I, I love oh no i got a natural one never
1: you got mind. one sit, i'm next with a two thank mouth. you
2: very much <laughs>
0: yeah i will shut my
1: mouth in the corner never mind
2: yeah i really enjoyed them also i got a lot of inspiration um my poor husband had to listen to me for a whole night at work <laughs> i was like can i talk about deep dragons yet can i talk about deep dragons yet and he's like fine <laughs>
1: I I like them. I like them a lot. I wish there was more about them. I'm frustrated with the lack of art and the lack of the layer map and the like, there's just, there isn't enough. This is such a cool idea and they really could have gone great places with it. And they went 40% of the way there. Yeah. Everything they gave us was good, Mm -hmm. but that's why we do these episodes is to flesh out the other 60%. Right. So that's right. That's right.
2: Speaking of the art I did get in the new Fizbins minis that they released. I got one of the little deep dragon.
3: How big is minis. it? Minis.
2: It's just a wormling, oh. but it looks exactly like it does in the book. Cool. Yeah.
1: Damn it, Peps. You're going to make me buy fucking minis again. Yeah. <laughs> one thing that, that COVID did for me was it broke me of my mini addiction. I've I've gotten like four minis, which is one box in like, mm-hmm. oh God, two years now. And I was buying three boxes like every paycheck for a while. Oh, like, yeah. It,
2: it amplified my addiction because I I'm had nothing to do world. but sit and paint shit. So.
0: I'm back into it as well I basically spent this full weekend painting and doing bases and stuff and I had these, this all these untouched minis like unpainted I hadn't touched in a couple of years and now I'm, I'm way back into it so me too.
1: See, I feel like I'm a total fucking sidebar from the episode. I feel like I'm at a disadvantage because you guys are talented when you paint shit. And I look at it and I go, well, this blob here is blue. So it will be his face because he's a blue guy now. And that's about as deep as it gets for me. So I'm stuck with the pre-painted minis, which are like four times more expensive than they fucking need to be. And they're not customizable. And like, I just, but some of them are so Mm -hmm. fucking cool.
0: I... I think I was maybe semi-talented three years ago, nowhere near as good as Pepperina is now, but I think I thought that I wouldn't have that skill fade. So I was telling Elizabeth, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get back into painting minis. You're going to love it. I'm actually really good. She was like, you good? I was like, I'm oh, pretty good. Like, I'm pretty good at it. And then it was like, it's like Buzz Lightyear can't accept that he's not a real space ranger. It's like that. Like, <laughs> I'm like, look, real good art. She's like, that looks like a child with three fingers painted it for sure.
2: <laughs> it's funny you say that, though, because you are one of the people who inspired me to start painting. I remember when you did your black dragon with the purple wings. And I was like, I have to do this. Yeah. um so your your earlier paintings when we first met on instagram were some of the things that inspired me to even begin
0: well that's good unfortunately i can't hold up to that, uh, that <laughs> anymore, but I'm, try, I'm trying again anyway okay we won't derail okay
2: <laughs> i mean i'll talk about minis all day long so we gotta get back to so <laughs> this eventually for deep dragons we do get two fizzbin quotes uh one is where you create your dragon and one is by the stat blocks so we have there is a deep dragon saying that translates roughly to thorough is as thorough does but more literally uncover every last stone every last stone sounds exhausting and then the second one is the ultimate paradox some deep dragons are actually very shallow
1: <laughs> okay I like it
2: I love Fisben's quotes they're my favorite part of this
1: yeah
2: you know, and I don't like Bahamut, but I love Fisbon. It's a whole thing.
1: <laughs> I love I also love you call them Fisben. It's my favorite Fizbin. thing. I know. It's the what's most it? British thing about your dialect. Oh, I, know.
0: I think I maybe said this before, but I one of the girls I used to hang around with when I was in uh, when I was in school, her mom used to say Spider-Man is Spider-Man, and it bothered me forever. Because obviously kid nerd comic yeah. books mm-hmm. like, Oh yeah, Spider-Man.
2: Like boss. when they say what's your favorite DC comic character, they say Spider-Man. <laughs> That's not. <laughs> <laughs> Mm -mm. Okay. (laughs) Now, if you were to see one of these guys, you would probably first notice that they have pale eyes, like no black or color, just whites, and no horns of any kind on their heads, and their faces are almost fish-like. Their skin is smooth like a salamander and colored blacks and grays with dark purplish wings, which connect to their front legs so they can be folded in close to their bodies to move through tunnels easier. Because their breath weapon is a cloud of spores, they tend to grow fungi over their bodies the older they get. Digging into the lore a little bit, deep dragons make their layers in the Underdark and are referred to in this book as the nightmarish cousins of chromatic dragons. This is in large part due to their nightmare breath weapon, which is a magical cloud of spores that cause fear powered by the twisted magic of the Underdark. Knowledge is definitely power with these guys, especially information about far off lands. They much prefer deal making to combat and will strike deals for information they may not have. They will likely use servants to do their dirty work, for them as they see dealing with lesser creatures as being beneath them. Now, if we go into the creating a deep dragon section, they have all those lovely tables that I really love about this book. And on the personality traits, I've picked two. I will not risk injury at the hands of weaker creatures, especially while I can turn them against one another and have them fight in my stead. And I dream of seeing the deepest places in the ocean. Now, that one I picked because as I read through this, doesn't say why, but there's a lot of stuff about them liking aquatic creatures and like seafood
1: this this i actually know the answer to this is an old yeah this is a holdover from previous editions where we didn't have deep dragons we had purple dragons Mm -hmm. right and purple dragons were very much all about the underdark but they were semi-aquatic as well they Mm -hmm. had really all of the movement they could burrow swim fly and climb because they were in these big underdark oceans and they would like rise up out of the out of the swamp and stuff so this is kind of a reimagining of this. I want to say that was that was the real hit. I can't remember if it was 3.5 or 4th edition. Where they were, I don't want to say amphibious, although they mm-hmm. could breathe underwater. So I guess, yes, amphibious is right. But they were definitely like aquatic themed and their layers were underwater in the underdark. And it made them like a little bit scarier because their shit, I remember their shit being about um, like flooding tunnels and stuff. So they were far dan- far more dangerous and I think really cool. Um, so this seems to be one of these other like weird fifth edition holdovers from previous editions that made it in for no discernible
3: reason. Yeah, but- I
2: just, I really enjoyed that flavor to them though, that it's just sort of sprinkled in there throughout all the different things you can pick from. For ideas, I picked the kindred idea of all dragons are kin to one another. And we would all do well to prioritize that kinship. And it says that you can use that for any alignment. That also idea is sort of sprinkled throughout things of them thinking everything other than dragons is beneath them. And not really understanding why dragons fight each other. That they should, like, we're all equal. Why aren't you fighting these lesser beings?
1: Yeah, like, they're neutral evil, but they're Mm -hmm. more neutral than evil, right?
2: Yeah, I I definitely got like just sort of pure neutral vibes from them. I think you could very easily switch them over into that.
0: I took the neutral part as being because they're not as directly involved in what's happening, like the politics and whatever at the surface world. It, you know, it may be that they don't have a particular... They don't have a particular code or whatever that they follow because they only really ever have to think about themselves. And so it's not something that they contemplate. They don't contemplate code in comparison to other people around them.
1: Mm-hmm. And yet they are methodical because they make deals and they're conniving. And whatnot. not, they don't have a code, but they're not chaotic.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Right. They're not just on a whim killing people. They may want somebody dead, but you know, there's going to be the right way to do it. They really are. I mean, short of, of the genius blue dragon and the warmongering bronze dragon these guys are another one of these like hyper intelligent strategists that we're gonna yeah.
3: get
2: mm-hmm. um when we get into their spell casting at young they get a dc of 14 and are given command dissonant whispers and fairy fire at adult their dc goes to 16 and you can add water breathing and ancient their dc goes to 19 and you get passwall
1: that's really interesting that they get fairy fire because a lot of their stuff is about attacking we'll get into this in the stat blocks all of their like um legendary actions and stuff it's all about things that they can see specifically mm-hmm. and so they have fairy fire which is going to help you see invisible creatures but it's also bizarre because they have blind sight as well right so why do they need it it's an interesting one to give them and i feel Mm -hmm. it makes sense by the stat block until you look at their actual um perception abilities right Mm -hmm. i do like dissonant whispers though especially in maze like tunnels in the underdark and stuff having dissonant whispers that are just sending you off running it's very Mm -hmm. on brand and thematic for the nightmare breath and Command is very thematic um, and on brand for the one of their legendary actions as well. But like, it's it's a little crazy that they, uh, that they have fairy fire. I can't wrap my brain around it.
2: So getting into the adventure hooks, I've also picked two of those. A disguised deep dragon offers access to rare artifacts to a party who is willing to partner up on a seafood shipping business. And unfamiliar drow adventurers have been prowling a city's streets at night and have been overheard talking about the dragon they serve. The more I read about these guys, the more like mob boss vibes I got off of them. And these two sort of fit in with that idea. And I think you could use those very easily if you wanted to go that way with your deep dragon.
1: Yeah, I really like that. I can see these guys just running uh, Durgar city, right? Mm -hmm. And be perfectly content. And the Durgar being content with it too, right? There's a lot of of the Underdark denizens that are going to be very much... um, aligned with what a deep dragon wants because it's interesting they're one of the few big powerhouses in the underdark that's not like hell bent on slavery Mm -hmm. it seems to be a better option for a lot of creatures than some of the others out there right so if you're going to do a big underdark campaign except for drow who have their own freaking Queen of the of the castle. I, I it makes perfect sense that you would have a deep dragon as a big boss bad guy, right?
2: Yeah, and it does. You said they like they're not gung ho on slavery. It uses the words servants and allies and a lot of the of the reading here. um So, I mean, servants would even indicate that they're getting paid of some sort.
1: Yeah, even if versus their pay is just, forced. Even if there's room and board, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing about dragons too. Is For the most part, they do have minions, but these minions, like they would be embarrassed if the minion shows up because they all have an ego, right? They'd be Mm -hmm. embarrassed if the minion shows up in rags and stinking because it hasn't had a bath in like a week. And so dragons with slaves sounds I'm mean, it's on brand for like black and red dragons because they want to do that level of damage and 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 give that misery to people but it's not about the slavery then it's just about you know controlling in the iron fist yeah. the like imposing their whim and will on people but for the most part no they're, they're not going to have slaves walking around it is, it is going to be servants
2: mm-hmm. all right um A deep dragon tends to keep their layers close to settlements of their allies, much like you just touched on Adam with the Duogar um, civilizations and that, they would be very close to those. Unlike other dragons, they don't have a standard type of layer, though they are often only accessible to creatures who can fly or dive. They can be found in areas of ancient ruins, cave near underground lakes, or amongst forests of fungi. If you happen upon one of their layers while they're off on an exploration, don't think it will be any easier to enter. They will be filled with servants, allies, and magical traps to navigate through. We are not given a map of their lair, instead directed to use a modified version of the sapphire dragons. Instead, the Instead of using stone walls, they would like you to change them into being made of fungus and near an underground river. For the areas of their lair that are inaccessible, add a few narrow passages or hidden doors, maybe even one connected to the nearby river. One of the larger areas would be used as a reception hall for guests and servitors. This area, along with the rest of the lair, would be lit by phosphorescent fungal blooms with hues of greens, blues, and purples. This dragon's horde chamber will not be easily found. It is hidden with illusion spells and will have traps and alarms all around it. These alarms will first bring the minions and eventually the dragon itself. This dragon will have created a rocky dam to create a small pool in the nearby river. You could find the dragon using this pool to bathe in or also where it raises rare aquatic creatures. I absolutely love that these layers include guest suites, for visiting dragons. While the most valuable treasures will be protected in the hoard chambers, these guest rooms will have unique pieces selected specifically to start conversations and give the deep dragon a chance to tell the story behind them. We are given three-layer actions, the first being deep torpor, Say how you say that word, torpor?
0: <laughs> That's what I would have said, yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, And that is they can cast the slow spell using no components and using the appropriate spell save DC for the age of the dragon. The spell ends early if the dragon uses this layer action again or dies. Then they have a mossy sludge where they get to conjure sludge-like moss that covers the walls, ceilings, and floors making those surfaces difficult to rain until initiative count 20 on the next round. And then we have Toxic Spores. They get to create a 20-foot cube somewhere the dragon can see within 120 feet that fills with Toxic Spores. Each creature must make a DC 15 con save or take 4d6 poison damage and be poisoned until the end of its next turn. And then we also get three regional effects. The first being preservation of knowledge, any letters, books, or physical forms of writing within six miles of the layer become magically charged and cannot be damaged by non-magical means. We have restless sleep. When a creature finishes a long rest within six miles of the layer, they must make a DC 10 con save or be unable to reduce its level of exhaustion. Creatures immune to the poison condition are immune to this effect. And then, verdant growth, vegetation, and fungi within six miles of the layer grow faster and cover a greater area than they normally would. Foraging in the area yields twice the usual amount of food. I found it interesting all of these are within six miles. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's the first time I've, I guess at least recognize that usually it's like one mile for this and six miles for that and ten miles for this yeah yeah.
1: Yeah, Um, it seems to be consistently six miles but I wonder if that's just because you have so limited movement in the underground mm -hmm. right like you're not able to really wander through the forested area to get up to the green dragon you could spend a while there you're in the tunnel you're heading this way so they want you in those regional effects longer and you have fewer options for just going off the rails so they'll make it longer to keep the players in that longer you know what i mean
2: yeah all right and just like every other dragon these ones have their favorite kind of treasure these ones love unique items from distant lands items from memorable hunts and things found on exploring expeditions their favorite type of gems are those with deep dark colors or with an iridescent sheen these dragons keep their hordes highly organized and displayed in frames or on pedestals made of precious woods and gems. Though these hordes are heavily protected, you could probably get the Deep Dragon to give you a tour of their treasures. Just be prepared to listen to hours or even days worth of stories for each item on display. From the art objects table, I've picked two things. Um, the first being the jewel encrusted skull of an ancient dragon, which the deep dragon always keeps close at hand and talks to when lonely, which I just thought that was kind of sad.
0: Wilson? <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> and the second is a set of filigreed gold claw covers set with gems that change color according to the wearer's mood. So what? a mood ring. <laughs> <laughs> more or <That's> less <laughs> alright so that is what I have on, on the lore and the, the personalities of the deep dragons so let's ask some questions um, what's your favorite piece of new inspiration about deep dragons
0: roll, roll. Roll. 7 this time an eight.
1: 8
2: oh I got an 8 too
1: alright roll off peps 19 15 I
2: lost
1: 15 alright <laughs> Answer your own question first. What's Answer your-
2: my own question. My favorite piece of new inspiration. Like I, said, I, I really would lean into the sort of mob boss um, vibe with these guys. I, ca- you know, I like the, the fish stuff kind of reminds that uh, like the sleeping with the fishes saying um, okay. with the mob guy, like they have this pool of their aquatic animals. And if, you know, you don't, you don't go with them, you're going to be sleeping with their fishes. <laughs> I think would be a fun little thing to throw in. So I would I would lead into into that sort of personality with them.
1: I think my favorite thing is is going to be the fact that they've got. Look, I know they have a swim speed and it talks about the aquatic stuff, but they don't naturally get to breathe underwater. Mm-hmm. They have to use water breathing spell, which they only get when they're adult, right? Yeah. Which means I think that they're near water but they're not actually going to like go down to subjugate the people that are the creatures that live underwater which Mm -hmm. i mean there's going to be a little bit of everything down there but off the top of my head it's mostly kuatoa in the underdark underwater right so i imagine that they don't have much fucking patience for those fish bastards like Just crazy assholes making God. So as soon as they get big and powerful enough, they're going to go down there and fight the Kuatoa and then take over that realm. And I think that that's neat. That so that's that's what I thought. But like they can't do it naturally. They've got to wait until they're powerful and and magically strong enough to be able to do this.
0: Yeah, for me, it is the combination of this like this nightmarish type of like hallucination, like the spores and the fungi that we see repeated, combined with this deep, like literal deep, dark loneliness. If you look at something like the regional effects, this restless sleep, where within six miles, the creatures are most likely to be exhausted. So all of the other underground creatures over time, are going to learn this, and they're going to stay away from this area. So you're going to have this six mile deep underground place where it'll just be like deathly silence it'll just be nothing that feeling of loneliness and stuck in your own head and combine that with these hallucinations and this nightmare fuel uh i think there's tons of inspiration here for like sanity checks and and diving deep into people's backstories and their own inner thoughts and clashes uh, so the nightmare fuel i love
1: would you would you take the Call of Cthulhu method and ask everybody to come up with a phobia before they get into this campaign
0: um i think so yeah or or at least even if not to not that there's pressure to do that people enjoy that but at least take things from their backstory uh that you can use to make them feel that unease but i always say uh um you got you have to attack the players as well as the characters right so you're attacking the character but what makes the player feel uncomfortable just from knowing them and it doesn't mean you have to talk about it directly um uh, you know it's not like hey Dave, you're terrified of small spaces, haha! Uh-huh. But you just bring that out in your exploration, so that the player feels uncomfortable.
1: Oh no! Sometimes I do that. I'm like, haha! Take this, Megan. Here are yep. spiders that grapple. This is your fucking nightmare right here. <laughs> it's not your character's nightmare, but her character will run because it's her nightmare, right? Right. That's it. Mm-hmm.
2: Do you like these spells?
1: You're asking yourself, Peps.
2: <laughs> All right i do i had to look up passwall. i've not heard of that before and i found that one interesting because they get it at ancient so rather large and it only creates like a five foot wide eight foot tall area yeah in a wall um so i thought that was interesting that they in dragon form couldn't actually pass through the wall mm-hmm. so i don't know if you would as a dm Um, modify that or if they would just have to change shape before they actually went into it
3: well
1: they do at that at that level they do have the ability to change shape as an action right Mm -hmm. so they would be able to just okay so uh, to answer the question i like it all but i don't i don't like the fact that it makes reference to there are illusion magics protecting the layer and then they don't give us any illusion magics yeah right they give us passwall which is hey, you know what? I I can make doors essentially in, what is it? Uh, It's wood, stone, and something else. I Mm -hmm. don't know, plaster, something like that, right? because it's supposed to be in buildings too so it's five by eight by 20 because it's 20 feet deep i would let them move through that they got to squeeze through in dragon form but for the most part yet yeah, everybody's going to be looking for that giant wall that a an ancient dragon is going to be able to walk through they're not going to be looking for that you know just blank space halfway down the tunnel that only a small creature can get through mm-hmm. right so this might be how they protect their shit at higher levels when the when the illusion magic doesn't work anymore Right when it's not enough, and they need actual barriers to stop people from looting their horde. That's also a really cool puzzle for people to have to get past, uh, for players to have to get past because they've got to figure out they're going to need you know mold earth in order to get through this, right?
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. And it does say, um, up to five feet and eight feet, so it can be anything smaller than that, and they can turn into small creatures. So, yeah, that would also be like. You know that little tiny mouse door at the end of a of a hallway that only they can pass through um,
1: them and known and gnomes and halflings and goblins and that's yeah it,
2: right? i could see them just like just doing that and not even thinking about it to their visitors like what do you mean you can't go through this door i made a door you should go through it like
3: yeah, suddenly i don't orc, care
2: that you're not that size
1: the, the orc goliath and loxodon are gonna have an issue now
2: yeah <laughs>
0: uh yeah i love these spells i think they fit i got a lot of inspiration on how i might use them you know i was just talking about tight cramped spaces and making people feel uncomfortable that way but the Underdark has the the exact opposite which makes people feel uncomfortable which is these huge expansive open caverns uh you know let those players wander out into the middle of those where it's it's pitch dark they can't see anything it's nothing but echoes maybe they can hear water moving so they know things are around them but it's pitch black and then just drop fairy fire on them when they're in the middle of that pitch black expanse and they feel so vulnerable. Uh, Yeah, I think it's a great spell. I'm all, it's like, it's an Alfred Hitchcock thing, right? It's what you don't see, just terrify them.
2: Right, and how do we feel about the new layer details and regional effects? Um, I really like the restless sleep. I think that could really mess with a party. I liked that with the regional effects, we got one that was for flavor, one that could really mess with them and one that's kind of helpful.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, So it gives you a really good variety that you could throw in with it. And it's not all just one note.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I got a couple of really interesting inspirations from the regional effects um one is mechanical and one is a plot hook just off them alone um for the plot hook i would say that if you have a preserved um deep dragon heart or maybe the breath weapon organ in the throat or even their skull whatever it is a a powerful piece of a a dead deep dragon that preservation of knowledge regional effect that that uh, keeps um all of the like written word and whatnot preserved and that can't be destroyed or harmed or degraded at all. That'd be so useful to just have these. And like, I would imagine they have one of these in candle keep, which is a big freaking magical library. Right. And there would be stuff like that so that people can't destroy these archives that exist. So that there for a plot hook is just immediately go get us a an ancient or an adult deep dragon skull and bring it back here so that we can preserve our records here. Um, which I thought was, was kind of fun. But the other one is the, uh, the verdant growth, which mm-hmm. said that um, fungi and whatnot just grow bigger. And well, we have myconids and veggie pygmies and shambling mounds aren't, aren't fungi, but I I'm going to reflavor them to just yeah. stand up out of the gross vegetation that's down here that's like wet and nasty and kind of rotten smelling and whatnot and all of these things i'm either going to buff them or at least give them max hit points right but we should be able to see how close we're getting based on how big the fungus creatures down here are so as you get closer and closer suddenly you're running into veggie pygmies that are medium size and then large size and there's a one fucking huge one and like okay that's just fucking frightening and they all serve this deep dragon that i think that's a load of fun just from the regional effects i'm now starting to come up with campaign ideas
3: mm-hmm.
0: yeah for me i i have to agree with that and i have to lean into that preservation of knowledge that gives me so much inspiration that firstly that's a fantastic plot hook right that is a reason that you have to get to this dragon um and i would even use that preservation of knowledge i would add a component of restoration of knowledge to that as well so that if you have a text or a scroll or something that is damaged if you can get it into this region, uh, it will restore itself uh, after a period of time. So that is a reason to seek out this dragon. From the flip side of how you could use this, um, it's whose knowledge is this, that this dragon is keeping, is there, is there is Tiamat's great library being guarded by this person that contains all kinds of secrets and whatever that 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 she's up to, but it's another reason why you may need to seek out this dragon unwillingly. You you don't necessarily want to go down there, but there's a there's a lot you can do with this preservation of knowledge, knowledge, particularly if you add in a, a little restoration component, which I think I would as well.
2: I do have one more question. Um, while I was reading this, I sort of, cause I'm, I'm more of a player than a DM. So sometimes when I go through these, I'm like, what kind of campaign would I want to be a player in with these? And I sort of came up with the idea of a deep gnome circle of spores druid slash warlock with one of these as a patron. Would you allow one of these to be a warlock patron?
1: honestly I, like yes absolutely if the player wants to do that yes why do we not have a dragon patron yet yeah, yeah. that's a clear fucking oversight
3: so i would I,
0: I would allow it i'm good if someone says they want their patron to be an ancient dragon i've got no problem with that
2: well and this book makes it very clear that dragons are magic like yeah the more things are around them the more magic gets instilled in them so even if you were one of these guys followers or allies or cultists and you spent a lot of time with them, you would eventually get some of that magic off of them, I would feel.
0: Yeah. No, I I love that idea, Perhaps I think, uh, yeah, a a warlock, a warlock is the class, but you could flavor it as like a cultist type Mm -hmm. PC, or you could do it more. You could even do it like, even maybe even like a paladin or they're like an agent they are a servant of this dragon and you could lean into that what we were talking about earlier servants there's going to be different levels of that um but i think that's a, i think that's an amazing idea yeah
1: and there are so many good warlock patron um skeletons that you could be able to use here besides just fiend or great old one which mm-hmm. i mean i guess you could use fiend but it's not going to take much to reflavor arch fae because i think they have fairy fire shit in there right or Mm -hmm. fathomless because it's all water and that's supposed to be like krakens and and shit right or even the genie and you can look at some of the um reflavor the elemental shit into being like spores and nightmares psychic damage and poison damage instead of fire or cold right like there are ways to do it um i just really think we should have had one by now
2: yeah. I would I would definitely go back to the chains and have a little mic it familiar, but <laughs> that's just me.
1: That's <laughs> fucking adorable.
2: I would be a tiny little gnome with a tiny little mushroom walking around causing havoc. Yeah. <laughs> I'm
1: pretty sure that month that every gnome is a tiny little mushroom.
2: Mm.
1: <laughs> Very little grippage.
2: Some yeah. of them are growers. All right, <laughs> on to wormlings. <laughs>
0: Speaking of growers, wormlings. Okay, let's take a look at their stat block, and we'll discuss things along the way. So, deep dragon wormling is a medium-sized dragon. They are typically neutral evil. We're starting with a a lower armor class with them being wormlings at 15 with their natural armor. Hit points: 5d8 plus five, so it averages out at 27. I'm excited that I get to be the first person to mention this because it fills me with inspiration. But for their speed, they have multiple. 30 feet walking speed. They start with 15 feet of burrowing speed. They start with a flying speed of 60 feet and a swim speed of 30 feet. In the underdark, close to water, with big open caverns and tight little tunnels. I'm so excited. Uh, Their highest stat is that of strength, uh, 14. The rest of the stats are very similar, 11 to 12 for dexterity uh, constitution, sorry, 11 to 13 between dexterity, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. Saving throws, they get a number of as well. They get Dexterity, Constitution, Wisdom, and Charisma. Now, if you think of all of the things they're most likely to be saving against, probably those four. Skills, Perception, Persuasion, and Stealth will be important underground. Damage, Resistances, Poison, and Psychic. For their Condition, Immunities, again, three of the most likely. Charmed, Frightened, and Poisoned. For their senses, as a wormling, they begin with blind sight at 10 feet, dark vision at 90 feet, and a passive perception of 13. As a wormling, by the text, they can only speak draconic initially with a challenge rating of one. Their proficiency bonus is two. Okay, let's look at their actions. So they actually, they do not get a multi-attack as a wormling, but they do get a bite attack. a plus four to hit, reach of five feet, and they get one target, and they're, we're looking at 1d10 plus two piercing damage for that. For their breath weapon, I don't know if this is my favorite breath weapon or just because it's a new shiny thing that I'm excited about, but I love this. The Nightmare Breath. Standard recharge of a roll of five or six on a d6. When the dragon exhales a cloud of spores, and it comes as a 15-foot cone. Each creature within that cone makes a wisdom saving throw. It's DC 11. On a failed save you're going to take 1d10 psychic damage and you will be frightened of the Jared dra- of the dragon for 1 minute. On a success you take half as much damage and you don't get any additional effects. Remember a frightened creature can repeat the saving throw at the end of each of its turns ending the effect on a success. Okay, so uh, like all dragons, deep dragons have creatures that they are personally are connected with or most likely to connect with. Let me look at two here from the random table to spark your inspiration. So uh, for a dragon wormly connection, how about an exclusive auction in an enclave of Loth worshippers uh, that features a deep dragon egg uh, just about to hatch? Or oh, for a second one. An au- hold on,
1: hold on. They're selling their own eggs? A- apparently so. That This is the first dragon to really not be insane about protecting their own. Oh, maybe the thing is it's about to hatch, and the drow don't know it Hmm. they think they're buying an egg but they're really going to buy a dragon this is like here it's a trojan horse
0: right yeah that's i think that's how i would play it or i would want to figure out why this would be an advantage to them you know i don't think this is a a type of dragon that would lessen themselves by thinking that their eggs are worth throwing away Um, there, there must be a plan to it Uh, for a second connection an orphan deep dragon wormling is cared for by a giant constrictor snake that is the recipient of a druid's awaken spell yeah yeah i would have to think about that one a little bit more but i don't mind it i especially like it because you would expect the egg to be a uh, giant constrictor snake egg and so you'll have an unpleasant
3: surprise
2: there'll be a lot of questions around the dinner table that night when it (laughs) hatches Do you have any inspiration about combat encounters?
0: Yeah. Okay. So when I take everything into account, it's starting with the wormling, and I'm going to talk about the young letter and how I'll flesh this out a bit. But right from the start, don't expect to see this dragon during combat. This is how I would play this as a DM. There's no reason for them to expose themselves. You're in their lair. It's dark. It's tight. They have the stealth advantage here. They have the regional effect advantage. If they have a parent around, maybe the lair actions, region actions might come from them. Uh, but the narrow tunnels uh, mean that frightening uh, creatures is going to seriously react, uh, restrict their movement because players always bunch up, even though we know that's not a good thing to do when they're in tight spaces. Now, you can move through an allied space, but you can't end your turn on it. So if you're in a tight area and you have a frightened creature somewhere in that line, you're restricting the movement and their positioning that they can do in the middle of that battle. Uh, so standard operating procedures for me, right from wormling, are gonna to be to move the dragon into, tunnel, into tunnels, roll stealth every time, use those tight tunnels um, for that wormling to take advantage of the positioning with the players. Because I think, you know, for, for a deep dragon where they're trying to source knowledge and knowledge is so important to them, as the dragon gets older, that means collecting texts, speaking to people, doing whatever. But it's like a kind of a dog, Right, in that they, the different breeds have their job kind of instilled into them from birth, you know, whether they're a guard dog or they're a hunting dog or something. So the wormling still has that thirst for knowledge in them, but as a wormling, that might just mean trying to nab the wizard and drag it down a tunnel as opposed to speaking to them about their knowledge. So that I would be very stealthy with my battle tactics and trying to separate party members and keep them cramped together.
2: All right, I really appreciate that answer. We were supposed to roll initiative.
0: Uh, I rolled a 12.
2: <laughs> you just went at it.
0: Well, hey, you asked
2: me. You are very eager.
0: <laughs> Whatever the initiative roll is, I'll just pretend I got highest. But I got <laughs> well,
2: I got a net twenty.
0: <laughs> I got a seventeen. Um,
2: so I, you actually got the lowest.
1: <laughs> all right.
3: I love
2: it. Um, yeah, I I could I don't know that you would necessarily combat these guys. Um, it says very clearly that they're not combat it very much, but you would definitely see their minions. So I would ask myself at a wormling stage, what would their minions be and go from there? So you might get like smaller um, myconids, like myconid sprouts or, you know, things of that nature, twig blights, just smaller vegetation, fungal type creatures, I think, is what you would encounter before encountering this guy. He might use his breath weapon to make you afraid but I don't think he would necessarily get into blows.
1: The thing that I'm going to really focus on with these deep dragon wormlings is the fact they don't speak common, right? So that right there is going to put them at odds with the party. Now, every, every fifth edition party I have had is a, at least one person that speaks Draconic because that seems to be one of the most popular elvish draconic and probably infernal are the ones that i see more than anything else at the table where people are just desperate to pick these up um so i can assume that someone's going to talk to them but it's also a worm when you're playing this like a bit of a child and immature it's a dragon it's still smart it's got an intelligence of 11 and a wisdom of 12 it's got a charisma of 13 which just keeps getting better and better but it's like it's still got the maturity level of a probably a 12 year old right so um they're going to take offense easily. They're going to say things without meaning it. Like, I don't know if you guys remember middle school, kids are fucking cruel. Yeah, and these yeah I currently have evil. a
2: 12 year old. So like, <laughs> I get that.
1: <laughs> um, Like kids, yeah, I, I'm sorry, Peps. How's your ego doing these days?
2: <laughs> oh, kids are rough, man. Kids are, <laughs> you know what? I think it's probably worse as toddlers though. Like they'll just say like, what are all those spots on your face? Like, I know I have acne. Thank you very much.
3: <laughs>
2: they've learned a, a little bit better at yeah. <laughs> yeah, like at Drunk age people 12. Children. Drunk people <laughs> he's, and children.
0: I'll tell you what
1: they've
2: learned what not to say at this point. <laughs>
1: um, but but like I can just assume that the Deep Dragon Warling is gonna say the shit, not give too much of a shit, but remember they're not a fighter, they're gonna be that beaky kid on the playground, right? That is then gonna turn around and run. This uh, the thing I'm looking at more than anything else on their stat block is the 60-foot fly speed. Mm-hmm. That means that they're going to hit with that Nightmare Breath and run. They mm-hmm. do not want to get in a comet. They don't have claw attacks or tail attacks yet. There's no multi-attack here. So they are hit and run. Down tunnels, I'm looking for vertical shafts for them to get up and out, recharge the Nightmare Breath, and come back and hit again. right? And at low levels, we're talking tier one. Uh, at, a, at a level one party, because it's a CR one creature, 1d10 psychic damage is brutal, especially because you're splitting the party right over and over Mm -hmm. and over again of this this frightened condition so you could really play this thing like uh like the alien from the first alien movie the xenomorph right Mm -hmm. coming down from above hitting them making them all scatter and run in fear and disappearing into the darkness again just to do it again a couple minutes later
0: right
2: all right and do we have any inspiration for the exploration encounters
0: you want me to go away my turn
2: (laughs) I'll let you go again you seem very Just eager to answer these questions yeah so. i'm gonna <laughs> lean
0: into the fungi stuff and the the hallucination fun that you can have with that because uh i know this should be focused around a wormling but i think you can make a situation with a wormling especially one that you maybe haven't seen yet uh a lot more intense or, you know, even uh, kind of like a puzzle, as soon as you start making people hallucinate, or you change things on their character sheet as a result of interacting with this, uh, with the, with this these fungi. Uh, so the verdant growth regional effect is going to be useful here, I think there's not there's, you know, it doesn't need to go straight to combat with a worm. There can be all kinds of difficult puzzles and challenges based on having one of these in the area, uh, especially when people are tripping essentially.
2: Um, yeah, with the exploration, it says in a few different places that like, they really like going on exploration um, adventures, I guess, themselves. Like they really like exploring and finding things of far off places. So I could see them like wanting, like seeing something on you and being like, where'd you get that? I would like that. Like, especially as a kid, like, oh, that's shiny. <laughs> um, where'd you get that? I want you to show me. And you could even like, take it with you because it wants to you've been outside of where it's been so it wants to know that
1: again i'm looking here at the movement Right. And I'm trying to find all the things that make this guy different than all the other dragons. And what I see here is both a burrow speed and a swim speed at very low levels, which means if I'm doing exploration, first of all, I do want this guy to retreat. They don't want to do combat. They'll hit with the nightmare breath, fuck up the party, and then burrow. And they may burrow down into their their catacomb of tunnels. But remember, they're a medium-sized creature. So everybody should be hunched over, but still able to move through this. Do you guys let when when a creature burrows, do you leave tunnels? behind or do they cave in uh I think tunnels behind I leave tunnels behind too unless it is like a bullets specifically are meant to be whack-a-moles right so like sometimes if if they have a burrow speed they just happen to have one um and they make warrens and whatnot yeah I'll leave tunnels but like some of them I It depends on the monster. For these guys, I'm leaving tunnels, but their big defense is going to be to let people get down into the tunnels to chase them. And then they have a 30 foot swim speed. They will bust through the side of the tunnel into the lake, the underground lake and, and swim away. As your players are in a tunnel that is flooding with water that's an exploration uh, and you just gonna have to pop out at the best place you can be and you're going to end up necess- not necessarily where you want to be so you may end up in a small cavern with no exit mm-hmm. at which point the deep dragon is going to come back to you when it's ready or you have to start making swim checks to figure out how can i get through these tunnels where we don't know where the exits are
2: all right and what about social encounters any inspiration there
0: yeah social encounters are going to be difficult if you don't have anybody that speaks draconic especially because they speak draconic but where it's difficult like that you know uh, i mentioned it a number of times i hate these shortcuts around languages and tongues and all that. It's like my least favorite spell I Fucking hate that thing um but this this in itself becomes a puzzle especially when they want something they have a thirst for knowledge there's something that they're trying to get from you but they can't communicate that that may be misinterpreted as being aggressive you know, if they're kind of snapping at you or they're paying particular attention or they're paying particular attention to a specific character, they're intelligent enough to understand, you know, that like to, to point out like a wizard or a cleric and know them. And so they would likely be paying much more attention to them. Uh, but what they want specifically is going to be the puzzle, right, because of the language barrier. So I would play into that.
2: Yeah, I. I feel like they would be asking you a million questions. Like, you know, we've compared them to to your kids and stuff. And I feel like, you know, a toddler asks you a million questions that you don't have the answer to. Why is the sky blue? What is this? What is that? And like, that's, I feel like at this age, what they would, they would want to know everything that, you know, and like just rambling off questions one after the other. Right, right.
1: See? And you just sparked mine. I was going to say something radically different, but I think that you're right. But remember, they're sitting there chirping this in Draconic. And why is the sky blue is a legit question for them because they've never seen the sky. They're aware that there is something up there, but they don't have any necessarily, they don't have a concept of, of what outdoors is, right? They know that... There are forests of, of mushrooms down here. But what's what's trees? Tell me trees. I don't know mm-hmm. trees, right? And there's all sorts of really interesting things that you can say about, um, what, what happens if you keep going upward, Yeah, right? Like you end up in the sky. Sure, what's above that? Because for them, above the cavern is probably either solid rock or another cavern. Oh shit, just occurred to me, these guys can fly up to the ceiling of a cavern and burrow up into it and away.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Good luck chasing them then fuck oh my god these okay you know what because they're deal makers as well this could be an annoying npc to throw at the party yeah
0: yeah this could be your way out of the underdark if you're trapped they can fly up and burrow up out
1: oh. yeah and they uh, what happens when you get a deep dragon to the surface
2: i had that thought like what if because they're typically neutral evil but a lot of that i feel like has to do because they're in the underdark what if you take that egg and it goes up to the surface would they still be evil or would they become a neutral good up there like if they had the chance to not be corrupted by the evilness of the underdark
0: maybe we can change them right pepper
2: <laughs> maybe, we <can. laughs> maybe
0: we can change them
1: would you give them sunlight sensitivity
2: i guess if if it happened with They took the egg up there and they were born up there. Probably not. I guess it would depend on how long they were in the underdark before
0: going. Maybe give them some sensitivity for like 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Like they just have to. It's going to take them a while to adjust. But I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think biologically they have a, a, a sensitivity to it.
1: I'm just looking at their eyes, and their eyes look almost blind, right? Because they need yeah. to get as much light as possible. They have blind right. sight, right? Even as a wormling, which means they are mostly blind. So it's it's an interesting thing to to kind of mull over. Also, did you guys notice that these guys don't have teeth?
0: Yeah, that's right, they don't.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I'd be leaning into the fact that they've got a beak as well. So I maybe their draconic is is speech impediment for <laughs> as far as uh, as far as uh, dragons speak right? Because they don't have lips. They got a beak. Yeah. They don't snarl so much as chirp, I guess.
0: Do you think they just have the most unattractive dialect of Draconic as well? <laughs> like your dragon just can't stand the way they talk.
1: Uh, it's like having someone with the, like, your regular dragon is a posh British accent and these guys yeah. come in from New Zealand.
3: Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: This is just a friendly reminder from the It's a Mimic crew to have a safe and happy Thanksgiving to all of our American friends. I, myself, am actually traveling down for American Thanksgiving with Mieka and her family, probably as you're listening to this. And it's got me a little wistful. It has me thinking about what I'm thankful for. And we're all very thankful for every one of you listening out there. We get blown away and do funny little happy dances every single time that we get uh, fan art coming in on Reddit. Um, uh, I laughed pretty hard about it. It's a fuck! Um, every time that we get something mailed to us, uh, or a donation comes to the website, or someone decides to buy some of our merch, it's baffling to us, really, because, honestly, we're just a bunch of nerds nerding out, not doing anything really differently than anyone else is, except, you know, we do it in front of a microphone, and then stay up till 3 in the morning editing. Um, We're very grateful to have the opportunity to interact with each of you. And I just wanted to say thanks to everyone in the spirit of the American holiday season that is hitting right now. I just wanted to say you guys are awesome. Thanks for sticking with us so far.
2: All right. And now we'll move on to the young. That's you too, Terry.
0: Okay yeah, let's go through young., uh, so what first thing you're gonna notice the changes is their size category. They're going up to a large dragon now. They're still typically neutral evil. Slight increase of the armor class we're going up to sixteen from fifteen. Hit points are going up from the five d eight plus five for the for the wormling, up to eleven d ten plus thirty three. That's an average of ninety three. so that's quite a leap there. The speeds have changed, they've increased. So the walking speed goes up to 40 feet from 30 feet. The burrowing speed has gone up to 20 feet. The flying speed has gone up to 80 feet and the swim speed is now that of 40 feet. Strength as their highest stat is now up to 18. We're seeing constitution and charisma slightly lower than that. And then dexterity, intelligence, wisdom, they're ranging from 12 to 14 between those three. Um, no addition to the saving throws and the skills, no addition to damage resistances or condition immunities, blindsight has is, is changed, it's gone up, that's up to 30 feet, darkvision is now to 150 feet, and the passive perception is now up to 15. We've added two more languages, we've have added common and undercommon to draconic, challenge rating is now up to 5. For their actions, we get a multi-attack now. So we get one bite attack and two claw attacks. The claw attack is the new addition. It's plus seven hit, reach of five feet, 1d6 plus four slashing damage. The bite attack is 1d10 plus four piercing damage. Nightmare Breath has changed slightly, 30 foot cone now, we're looking at a DC 14 Wisdom saving throw, and the creature, if they fail the saving throw, is going to take the full 4d10 psychic damage, that's an average of 22, and uh, remember, they they will have the frightened condition if they fail, but if they succeed, it's half as much damage with no frightened condition. Okay, let's look at a couple of examples for uh, young Deep Dragon connections. All right, how about this one? So, a young deep dragon maintains the guise of a handsome humanoid artist so as to maintain an adoring cult of drow and durga admirers. Yeah, you never kind of take vanity uh, as a thing from them, but but uh, sure. In fact, before I do the second one, quick opinions on that. That seems very vanity based.
1: Well, we keep seeing that there's all these art objects that are listed in fizzbands for every single one of these dragons. It's like here are the art objects that you would find, which we talked about in the, Layers and hordes episode as being strange and unique. I I think it's totally on brand that these guys are vain. Look at look at these works of art that I have, these rare things. Every dragon has that level of ego. And Mm -hmm. so we talk about it like its attitude and confidence, and but it's also it's also vanity, Mm -hmm. right? I think it makes a lot of sense. I I can see dragons posing for a painting or a sculpture of themselves.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: That's uh, in one of the art objects, I believe. Something like that. <laughs> a beautiful worked statue of the deep dragon in a favored humanoid form made by an artist the dragon knew centuries ago.
0: This second one touches on the loneliness thing we touched on earlier. Uh, so despite repeated mind flare attacks, a young deep dragon refuses to leave the cave where the dragon's best friend, an adventurer who won the dragon's respect and affection, lingers as a ghost.
1: They have friends? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, They've best got, friend,
1: like like yeah. a best friend who they're holding on to their their ghostly. And remember, ghosts are twisted and evil a lot of times too, right? So, mm-hmm. so they're obviously preserving this spirit somehow or turning a blind eye pardon the pun to like the evil shit that's going on is that why it's hanging out at this like underground durgar fortress was because they raided the durgar they cleaned it out I mean, it should have moved on but it's its companion died it became a ghost here so now it lives on top of an underground fortress right and like you can really get into the weird politics with that that's it's so weird that they've got friends and allies and not mm-hmm. minions and servants for a for a neutral evil dragon very very interesting very strange There's additional facets to this that i hadn't thought about
2: all right so let's get into the questions i am going to first have you roll
0: <laughs> sure 15. 15.
2: okay so do we have any different inspiration on combat encounters with uh, young <laughs> so yeah, I, burbling? I think,
0: uh yeah i think they're getting a little bit older now right they're uh, getting a little bit more uh tactical i'd say they're not as impulsive and so i think this is a great time to not attack the characters but do as i like to do and attack the players and in particular i like to frustrate the players so i touched on before about being uh being bunched up in in the darkness where vision is limited where they can't end their turn on uh, on each other's space even though they will insist on staying together because they also don't want to separate the party but if you can it's kind of like both ways least a failure for them. And you should work in extremes with these dragons. So either, if you're going to keep them bunched up together, keep them very, very bunched up together. So it restricts what they can do. If they're going to separate themselves, judo, you push, I pull, separate them completely. Get them into, there's multiple networks of tight tunnels here. If you can separate them, put minions between them so that they're restricted in their movement, they can't get back together. Now they can't see and they can't work together and it will frustrate them. Um, Don't forget about that prone condition. Tight tunnels that are low down where the players can fit through, but they must go prone. That takes away half their movement when they're trying to escape, and it gives you something else to work with to trap them as well. So this will be all about frustrating the players by being very extreme on either keeping them very close together or getting them very far away from each other. Because remember, this, uh, this young dragon it's not interested in having a combat with you. This is a reaction combat because you came to them. So you need them for whatever's going on so they don't have to play your game. They just have to piss you off until you go away.
1: I honestly is that like i like everything that you're saying you're coming to them on their terms and they don't like it right so the one thing that i noticed that's different here beyond the fact that languages is their bite yes they got claw attacks and a multi tack now but their bite went up to 10 foot reach yeah which means they can now stand behind their minions and just come at you with that beak over and over again, right? With a plus 7 to hit for a level 5 party, that's decent enough. You are doing piercing and poison damage, which sucks as players, right? Because you're taking uh, a d10 and a d6. So i wouldn't use the multi-attack i would because i don't want the deep dragon is not going to get within five feet they're going to hide in a narrow tunnel behind a minion and then lunge forward with this beak attack over and over again or you know get in front of the minion and get off that nightmare breath and retreat to only use the bite attack over and over and over until the nightmare breath recharges they don't want to get in there with the claws because they don't want to take the damage because even at a, a cr5 creature 93 hit points is is not enough it just isn't when you're up against a party of four or five and you're starting to have to worry about things like fireball and stunning strike and shit it mm-hmm. that's not a lot of hit points so don't don't engage and if you have to if you're backed into a corner use that 10 foot b and i got to assume the head is narrower than the body So maybe Mm -hmm. four-foot holes in the rock that this 10-foot reach is coming out whack-a-mole style and just picking at the players just to retreat again. I could build a neat combat around that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I dare you to stick your fucking hand through to shoot a wand at me.
2: Uh, I think at at young, because it talks about their traps a lot. So I would have it sort of playing with traps at this point. It's getting a little older. It's getting a little more intelligent. It's probably thinking more and more on traps and experimenting with them. So I would like have it lead your players through the traps, not necessarily engaging, but more of a chase to get through. They know that this is here and kind of wanting to see how it works. You know, is this going to work? Somebody's actually here and after me, I want to make sure this goes off. Um, So I would come up with some fun traps that it sort of leads you through. Right and do we have any new exploration encounter inspiration?
0: Um, yeah, and uh, I'm going to touch on something here that uh, that uh, I I took from somewhere else, but I thought could work here as well. I've, Adam and I have gone back and forth about was both wanting to do our own rewrite of Tyranny of Dragons, and I I started that recently because I I have a, a group that I think might want to might want to play. But anyway, um, from that I was reading somebody else's rewrite and i won't do any spoiler alerts for heart of the dragon queen uh, for heart of the dragon queen but uh what they did was uh used essentially a dragon's breath weapon as like a part of a puzzle where the dragon wasn't interested in directly engaging them it was the lightning breath weapon which could be used as nightmare fuel here and so it recharges on a five and a six right so that basically that just meant that every time they were trying to solve this puzzle in this area they rolled a d6 if they got a five or a six a breath weapon went off from somewhere up in the sky and and hit one of them at random it was just like a storm essentially but you could do the same thing here in these deep caverns where if you're exploring these caverns with the dragon that doesn't want you there but doesn't want it directly in you and you're in tight caverns it's very 3d and now you have to scale down an underground waterfall and then go underground and then back up and scale this to the wall and you're kind of doing this kind of 3d sort of hamster cage with all these tunnels and exploration encounter The dragon breath weapon is something that can be coming out of these tunnels and used to to throw you off, right? To give you these hallucinations, this kind of nightmare fuel to make everything around you much more exaggerated. You don't know what's true and what's not. It's like running through a Chuck E. Cheese after you've met like Scarecrow from Batman Begins. That's what I'm going to play this as. Uh, And uh, for an exploration encounter, leaning into this dragon's abilities, I think I could do a lot with that. Like a skill challenge under the effect of the Nightmare Breath, essentially.
1: I really love that. Um, I'm getting all sorts of Out of the Abyss vibes from this, too, if you're gonna... If there's another one that you can put this in, because that one takes place in the Underdark as well, right? Mm -hmm. So, honestly, I... The thing that I keep coming back to over and over again is this spore cloud that is their breath. Okay. So when a red dragon does a fire breath, the flames then go away when the turn is done. When a blue dragon does a lightning breath, the lightning goes away when the turn is done. When a deep dragon does a spore breath, where are the spores? Mm-hmm. Which means you should be, wa- as you are getting closer, you should be walking and crunching on spores. It's, is the fungus that's growing on the side of it because it keeps flying through its own spore clouds and it creates fungus. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case and it builds traps and whatnot, could it create, Walls of fungus growing on fungus over and over again to create these like these barriers in the tunnel that you have to break through so it knows which way you came. And it can follow you back if you don't put it right again. And how do you fix fucking fungi? You need the plant growth spell in order to do that. That'd be the only way that I could think of off the top of my head for a druid to be able to regrow this. And if you're gonna do that, a nobody takes that spell. B, who's playing a druid these days? Come on, guys and see
2: i i am a lot
1: are you <laughs> i i haven't seen a druid in play for a while there's been a lot of really cool um subclass that have come out recently
2: actually um, i uh my druid is currently the headmistress of a druid academy and i have about 650 students
1: we did not think you were going to say the word academy after that. <laughs> um with no with these spores and whatnot i these would be really fun for um for using as material components for some things i also think it'd be really cool to have minions sprout out of them like maybe these spores are where veggie pygmies come from or these version of veggie pygmies Mm -hmm. or um like i'm really gonna stop and think about what happens to these spores or are they just dried up and useless and you're crunch 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 but now you can't stealth the spores themselves should be a part of this exploration Mm
2: -hmm. absolutely um See, for me, I think I would look into, with the burrow and the swim and the fly, they could put things in like the hardest places to find, you know? So if you're looking for a certain thing, even if it's not a treasure that they want, because they can be very selective on their treasures... they just don't want you to have it they could make it damn hard for you to find it so if you're on a mission to find a specific thing that these guys have hid in a series of mazes with their fungus and they've tunneled under here and then you have to like it's way up here but then there's also some sort of lake that you gotta trudge through before you can even get to that cliff um I think you could create one hell of a maze using just the things that they can, their movements that they can do to get to the thing that you need.
1: I think that especially because you remember when we were looking at the uh, chromatic dragons and I was fucking uninspired by the layers that they, that they drew in the book for us. I'm mm-hmm. like, come on guys, these are small. They're boring. they got stupid tunnels. Like there's nothing going on here. I'm looking at the sapphire dragon one, which is supposed to be the one that is the inspiration for the, for the deep dragon. Mm-hmm. And it's expansive, and there are tons of tunnels and different um, elevations and whatnot. I really think the idea of the maze lair suits the deep dragon almost more than most of the other dragons.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And... Do we have any social encounter ideas for the young deep dragon?
0: Yeah, I think for social encounters, what I would lean into this is going to be kind of like the Wizard of Oz for me, in that you're never really supposed to see them. Um, like I like the idea that this may be a reoccurring NPC in your campaign, especially because it's linked to knowledge, the exchanging of knowledge, and so it could be a dragon that and a dragon that doesn't necessarily want to kill you. But you have things you can offer each other so you may interact with the very often, but I like the idea that you would never see them, you would maybe just speak out loud somewhere in their cave network and they would respond to you maybe, or maybe you have to get to the cavern where you can hear their voice coming from somewhere. But that, especially when you combine that with the regional effect of um, due to the exhaustion, a lot of creatures are not gonna stay in that area. And so it will be very kind of lonely and it's kind of like its own thing. You have to go deep into this lonely network and then you speak out loud and this voice responds to you, but you never see them.
1: I think because we also get with the the young deep dragons, we're getting these additional languages now, which means that they've obviously spent enough time around other creatures. And because they are into deal making and they're conniving and whatnot, young dragons might be the most likely to try to strike a deal. They're not super powerful yet, which means they're still going to be a little bit flighty. Um, And they've got little hordes, but you know, not a whole lot like an ancient or an adult will. So they're going to be trying to broker um, deals for information and and they're going to try to talk to people uh, and other creatures because they have worked their way into, at this point, other societies and they don't have their change shape yet, which means they're doing it Mm -hmm. as a deep dragon. They're not going to be really comfortable in these societies until they get their change shape, which means they're going to be on the outskirts. Everybody in this underground, the, the Darrow city knows the deep dragon lives over that way it's got some really cool deals but there's also some danger to it's it been known to eat the odd darrow as well right and i think that that's um something to keep an eye on is they're going to try to get closer and closer to civilization but at this point they're still on the outskirts of it and trying to find their place
2: yeah i think at young they are a little bit smarter or more intelligent than the wormling where they just are asking questions nonstop. now it's going to be more pointed questions they have specific things that they're going to want to know and they're going to be at this stage building their allies they're not going to have these massive armies like when they're ancient or adult um, so this is where they are really trading information for things they're making their connections they're gaining their allies and building their servitors. Um, So I think at this age is really when they're gonna be really pushing the social aspect and trying to get as much as they can get, knowledge-wise and ally-wise. So this is really, I think, the peak time to socialize with them. All right, and that brings us to adults, which I have. For the Creature Connection, I liked that an adult deep dragon has ended up rearing a young brass dragon and is running out of patience for the young dragon's mischief. As I was reading this, I was like, these are sort of just evil brass dragons. (laughs) Like, they just want to talk to you. And like the thing with the skull and they get lonely and talk. Um, These are kind of just sad brass dragons. So I really enjoyed that they threw that one in there. And that it ended up with a warbling just like it that annoys the shit out of them, I think is pretty on par for any parent that has a kid that's just like them. And you don't <laughs> have to deal with a younger version of yourself.
0: It's two dragons that are likely to speak to each other. Right. But they mm-hmm. want different things. Yeah. So the deep dragon is looking for knowledge and an intellectual conversation and maybe wants to discuss the books or something like that and the branch dragon would just be like don't you love the way the leather smells or yeah like, what do you think <laughs> just, it tastes like
2: just every you know, thought that's in their head it, just spouting it off
0: not important stuff
2: uh-huh.
0: like, we're here <laughs> to discuss the downfall of humanity mm-hmm. and he's just like sticking his head in the book like oh my god it smells so good <laughs>
1: Uh, I would I would ramp this up a notch, too, for the comedy factor by using a copper dragon instead of a brass. Yeah, you know, copper dragon would be jokes like that, and right? riddles and bullshit. Uh-huh. Oh, a, a copper dragon a
2: would annoy the shit out of these guys. So getting into the stats of the adult, they are now a huge dragon, still typically neutral evil. Their CR goes up to 11, and they still speak common, draconic, and undercommon. Their AC goes up to 17, and the average hit points is about 147. Their speeds go up to walking at 40, burrow for 30, flying at 80, and 40 for swim, which really the only one that went up was burrow, went up by 10 feet. Everything else seemed to have stayed the same. Their highest stat is strength with a plus five, followed by their constitution and charisma with a plus four. Intelligence and Wisdom are now the same and have a plus three. And Dex is the lowest, but still gets a plus two. Intelligence had a big bump on this one with four points from Young. And I also noticed when Terry was going over um, as a Young, Intelligence is their lowest. And as it goes up in age, that gets increasingly higher. Yeah. Like, like they get big bumps to Intelligence which I find very interesting. Normally it's...
0: Thirst for knowledge, I
3: guess.
2: Yeah, normally it's like you see a standard like two hit points per per age up. So that was a, a really interesting bump. Their saving throws are decks with a plus six. Khan with a plus eight, Wisdom with a plus seven, and Charisma with a plus eight. They have skills in Perception, Persuasion, and Stealth. They are still resistant to Poison and Psychic Damage and immune to Charmed, Frightened, and the Poisoned Conditions. Their Blind Sight goes to 60 feet and Dark Vision 150 feet with a Passive Perception of 17. They still have their multi-attack with one bite and two claws. Their bite goes up to a plus nine to hit with a 10-foot reach, 2d10 plus five piercing plus 1d10 poison. The claw is a plus nine to hit, a reach of five feet, 1d6 plus five slashing. And they now have a tail attack with a plus nine to hit, a reach of 15 feet, and that is 1d8 plus five bludgeoning, and the creature must succeed on a strength save of 17 or be knocked prone. The Nightmare Breath now gets a 60-foot cone with a DC wisdom save of 16. On a failed, they get 60, 10 psychic damage and are frightened for one minute. Um, a success, the half the damage and no frightened. And you can repeat your, um, save for the frightened effect at the end of each of your turns. They now get their shape change, um, which is magically transforms into any creature that is medium or small, keeps all stats except for size, and transforms back to the dragon when reduced to zero HP or uses an action to end it. We are now seeing legendary actions, in which they have three. Commanding Spores releases spores around a target within 30 feet that it can see must succeed on a DC 16 wisdom save or must use its reaction to make make a melee attack against a random creature within reach. If they can't take a reaction or no one is in reach, then they take a 1d10 psychic damage. They can use their tail attack for one attack or they get the spore salvo, which costs two actions. And it releases poisonous spores around a creature within 30 feet it can see. The target must makes a DC 16 con save or takes five D6 poison damage and becomes poison for one minute. And they can repeat that save at the end of each of their turns. So let's rolling. roll for the questions. 13.
0: I got a 13.
2: I got a Nat one.
0: Okay, roll
1: off.
3: You
2: boys are rolling off. 20.
0: That's-
3: My third natural 20 today.
0: God damn! All right, Terry.
2: All right, tell us your inspiration for combat.
0: Yeah, I'm going to make a challenge out of this uh, combat myself as a DM, and I would have it so that I would never directly attack the players, but I would use the environment uh, to cause the tension and cause the stress, Um, taking advantage, leaning into everywhere. There's the speed, right? The burrowing, the flying, the swimming. Imagine the, the MacGuffin, whatever they're there to try and get, you know, I'd put that right at the top of a waterfall in a cavern so everybody's climbing or flying. Uh, I'd kickstart the initiative right there, but I would never have the dragon directly attacking. Like, I'm going to see if I can do this purely based off of legendary actions, purely based off of commanding spores to see if I can make them hit each other. And find somewhere to knock each other down or the, the poison the spore salvo there which causes the poisoned condition so they have disadvantage on their climbing checks now they have disadvantage on their attack rolls as well and then i'll let them get uh all the way up and then whoever gets the MacGuffin or, or whatever they're there to achieve, I'm going to grapple them and I'm going to fly all the way down to the pool at the bottom and I'm going to, they'll be grappled. I'm going to take them underwater. And I'm going to hold them right there while the rest of the party gets mad at each other, blamed each other. Everybody has to jump down, get into the water. And I'm just going to see if I can stress them to hell as much as possible without ever directly attacking them, which I think is true to the character of this type of dragon.
2: And an adult, you can breathe underwater now. Yeah. So that definitely works.
0: See,
1: again, I'm looking at the Deep Dragon as a non-combatant, And it's because that even like when we're talking about the Ancient level, they are weaker than the weakest Chromatic, Gem, and Metallic Dragon. Mm -hmm. They're at the bottom of the fucking rung on this. So when I look at them, I think about the fact that they're not going to get in melee. Again, they're going to do flyby attacks with their breath weapon, which is nice and big. 60 foot cone. Uh, when that's recharging, they're gonna do flyby attacks with their tail, right? It does a whole bunch of damage and they get a 15 foot reach, they're never in melee. And then all they have to do is stay within 30 feet to get their legendary actions off. Um, or uh to they're gonna sit there with a the layer action. So I'm gonna layer action at initiative count cr- initiative count 20, and I'm gonna target these very nasty legendary actions because the DC 16 wisdom save against a um, a character who's going to attack somebody else, right? That's what you want. You're going for a fighter or a barbarian. They're going to do the maximum amount of melee damage and they're going to have low wisdom. So that stacks nicely. And then when you've got this con save, because remember you're choosing who to hit them with, anybody that is good at con, like the barbarian and the fighter and whatnot, um, are going to want to shrug off this poison. So you're hitting the wizard, right? You're going to hit the um, the bard or the warlock or their druid, somebody else. We're talking D6 or D8 hit points for this poison damage. And, and then they've got um, all this disadvantage if they take the poison to condition. Mm-hmm. This is starting to get really nasty. Uh, and you'll, you should not be taking much damage except for spells, which remember that poison to condition gets in there and that's going to fuck with them. Right. Um, so they're all going to be relying on their weapons, at which point they're, you're commanding the spores at them. Like you're just hitting with spores over and over and over and over. And it's so much fun.
0: Now, you got, now you've got a, um, a wizard with a poisoned condition that now has a disadvantage on their concentration checks after the barbarian keeps fucking hitting them because of the commanding spores.
1: Yeah, and so th- that's, again, between the toxic spores um, layer action and the deep torpor as well layer action and then you have the commanding spores and the spore salvo legendary actions you don't have to get in in melee yeah. you just you just don't it's fun mm-hmm. to to hit them with the breath weapon but you don't even need that
2: Um, I did forget to mention, they also, I just thought, they do have legendary resistances at this point, which is three per day, where they can choose to succeed on a failed save.
1: Do you guys just blow them on the first spells that are given, or do you strategically, like, oh, somebody hit me with Firebolt? I don't care, I'm going to save
0: this for Fireball. Yeah, I now do it more strategically. Mm -hmm. Well... I, I I think, honestly, it kind of depends on the players that are around your table, because if all of a sudden you're pulling out a legendary resistance when they're banging their big spells off and you haven't touched on it yet... They will they'll start to they'll be a dm hater all of a sudden but if you do just kind of do it early they're like oh, all right then it kind of comes it's almost like fair play to them they're like he must run out of these soon so then i'll do the big spell so
2: yeah you would have to like know your plays are your players the type to hold on to their big spells and see how it goes or are yeah. they just gonna go ahead and just shoot off every like high level spell and work their way down you Not know
0: me, i'll do time stop on a single goblin god who's
2: just <laughs>
1: Look, man, you're tier three. Fuck you. You haven't figured out that my guys are strategic yet. You're not gonna live very long here. That's right. That's right.
2: But we will always forget we have those magical items and what they do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, for combat for me, um, you know, like you guys said, I don't think it's landing and fighting you face to face. Um, it does have all these really cool layer actions and legendary actions that I think it's. They are seeing you as lesser. So they're not going to spend a lot of time on this, you know, even if you're like at their horde, they're not going to spend a lot of time on you. They're going to shoot off those things. They're going to fly away. They're going to let their minions deal with it. So I feel like they're just going to come in incapacitate you as much as they can. And then just be like, you guys deal with these guys. i am got more important things to do over here. Like, mm-hmm. and, and that's sort of the ego on, on these dragons is that they will see you as lesser, especially if you're trying to fight them. Like they don't care. Yeah. Even, even though they are one of the weaker dragons, like they still see themselves on par with a red dragon. There's um, still
1: a dragon, right?
2: Yeah like they're like i don't i don't have time for this (laughs) so they'll hit off i would definitely hit off some of their fun lair actions and legendary actions just to to mess with the battlefield and cause a little chaos but i don't think you're gonna get very many hits on them per se Mm -hmm. um what about exploration encounters
0: Who's first me right i believe um i love it with your
2: loaded dice yeah
0: Right. Yes, <laughs> I love it when players are their own worst enemy because I am my own worst enemy as a player. Uh, and and given the fact that these are basically non-combatant dragons, as you know, as best as they can be, um, I would do something where the players are going to be their own worst enemy based on what's around them. So I would do something like almost like an Aladdin cave of wonders. You, knowing that they have, everything is knowledge based on them, right? They've collected these knowledge over the years. And so sprinkling things there on display, perhaps the tie in with the character's backstory, family histories, things that you know they would be looking for, certain spell scrolls for wizards, the, the whatever you want, ancient texts. They, they have to make their way through the Underdark, through their caverns, through this dragon's lair, and maybe the deal is just don't touch anything and we don't have a problem. And that problem is gonna get worse and worse, but the the temptation is gonna get bigger and bigger, the deeper into this thing they go, and you know, fine well, they're gonna touch something, Um, and then it'll go, it'll kick off from there. Doesn't necessarily need to be a combat, it can be exploration-based, we can use the spores, we can use whatever things that, you know, whatever flavor comes with this dragon, but I would set something up where they're gonna be their own worst enemy.
1: Sorry, we're talking exploration here, right?
0: Yeah, explore. So it'll be like, you you know, these things are available to them all within reach. There's going to be skill checks and things involved. um, Or if they touch something that they shouldn't touch, it's going to be a, you know, skill check challenge to get out of that situation.
1: If I'm going to be honest, one of the things that we've never really touched on in any episode is the legendary resistance against the environment. If you've got a dragon who can survive this without taking any damage, like just shrug off damage why would you not have a deep dragon fly through a lava waterfall mm-hmm. just to shrug that off and get to their lair bond that's not even on brand for them maybe uh, i would use a steam geyser or something else down here right with the heat damage they can get through just fine it's going to blow a legendary resistance every time they go through it but now your player's got to go through it and it gives them the opportunity to set up whatever traps or anything they have on the other side. Um, I, I really like the idea of these guys being the masters of their environment. And um, honestly, when it comes to, it's not a combat tactic, but I really like the idea of, of them caving in the ceiling over and over again. You get close. I'm just going to drop the ceiling down at the end of this tunnel. You can see me in my lair. The horde is behind me. I cave in the ceiling. Now you got to go back and do it again. What are you going to do? Dig? No player is going to sit there and make athletics checks for 10 minutes waiting to try to get there. There's a deep dragon like is blowing the spores through the cracks of this this cave-in, right? I could, I'm really going to use the environment um, and I'm going to really lean into the idea of chasing these dragons. They're going to know as much as, I'm still a dragon and I'm better than you. They know that they're not the best dragons out there. They're not the strongest. They have to rely on their wits. So all this shit about traps, I feel like we should have had a traps section for this dragon. What mm-hmm. do these traps in the Underdark look like? And that's something I'm going to spend a lot of time thinking about if I'm going to pull out a deep dragon.
2: Um, trying to think of something a little bit different. I would maybe go into the levels of this where... They're very into things from far off lands, like that's their favorite type of treasure is something that's not there. Um, And they're very much wanting other dragons to come visit them. So I would almost have them send your players off to find other dragons, to invite them to come, come have a chat with me. And then, like, your players have to try and convince these other dragons, but first they have to find them. Dragons are not easy to find typically, they're hordes and they're layers. So, it, you know, your players could even be like, oh, yeah, we met a dragon once, or we heard of a dragon once in this place. And they're like, go there right now. Go there, get that dragon, tell them I want to meet them. Also, bring me something. And it creates almost a plot hook for your characters. It sends them off on an adventure and a new place to go and thing to explore.
1: I like that. I I think that these guys, are they really lean into the exploration side of things. And we don't talk about the Underdark often on this podcast because, honestly, in previous editions, it's been done to death. Um, But there's not any support for it. As we get further and further into 5th edition, there's not a whole lot about the Underdark. We got out of the Abyss. And then, like, by the way, there's Drow. And there's not a whole lot that people have to use as tools. And it's actually a really excellent location and environment to play in. Um, and deep dragons are so unique that I feel like if you are, if you're going down into the Underdark and you're not leaning into one of these guys, then you're doing yourself a disservice. The, the environment and the exploration specifically for these dragons is more impressive to me than say the dragon turtle upgrades we got or the chromatic and metallic upgrades we got. The moonstone dragon was neat. I wasn't getting the flavor like I'm getting with the deep dragon
2: all right what about social encounters at this stage
0: yeah um i don't want to keep going down the same thing like you're discussing knowledge or it's uh, you know let's make a deal let's do something like this but i think what i'm looking for is a situation where we can make it tense and the way to get out of it is to correctly navigate a social challenge and what i came up with was to have it's kind of a combat encounter but the main focus of it is a social encounter is if you can separate one player one player character that the dragon wants to speak to and the challenge is essentially whatever format you do it but i was thinking like answering a certain number of questions correctly overcoming a certain number of social challenges but the rest of the players are engaged in a combat that will continue with uh with minions with Whatever kind of environmental hazards, like either it be in the, in another room or at the bottom of the waterfall, in a slightly different area close to them, where it will continue every round until the single player character overcomes this social skill challenge. Whether it's like get five successes. Four or five failures so the tension there is it all comes down to one player so you get to choose a player who is going to enjoy that moment enjoy that responsibility of um of being the person that can deliver on that for the other players uh but is also going to get their moment to shine because it's not for everybody right some people might not like that anxiety of everything coming down to them the other players have their 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 combat related encounter off to the side where they have to continue to work together they're they're essentially going to be victims of how well their other player does but it is a social challenge because success is determined on how quickly they can uh, they can uh, find so many successes in the social area the other players it's up to them to survive for long enough for that one player to be able to do that
1: i think at this point too we're starting to see them really build their their army up, their army of minions, um, they are very social, which means I think that of all of the evil dragons, these guys are going to work with Other monsters instead of subjugating them the way that we've seen the others do it, right? So um, it's going to be almost the good dragon tactics, but for evil purposes with evil monsters. Mm. If that makes sense. Um, Mm. Their evil really applies to how they deal with enemies as opposed to how they deal with allies, because even going through all the different connections and whatnot between them and other creatures, you see that they, they have allies that are protecting them, that they're working with. They're it's not slaves. There's one for I think the young dragon, which was they've decided not to eat the Kua and instead try them out as servants, right? That is not something any of the chromatic dragons would do. They would just fucking eat those fish fuckers. And that's all it comes down to. But with the deep dragons, we're starting to see that they're more political. They're really thinking about the family, I guess, that they're building around themselves. And remember, when you've got all these connections and whatnot, it's not like when you're an adult dragon, you get this one you're also stacking that on top of what they built as a young dragon and what they built as a wormling so these these groups of minions and allies are getting bigger and bigger and bigger so at this point i've got to sit down and Spend about five minutes as a DM thinking, what's the hierarchy here underneath the deep dragon with the deep dragon at the top? And what does everybody want? Why are they working together? It's going to have some really unique dynamics for social encounters. And I think it's going to be different and unique for each different deep dragon.
2: I think for me with adult, they get their shape change now. So I think I would have your first social encounter with them not be as a dragon, but as a humanoid form. And you wouldn't even really realize that it's the dragon because at this point they are very much into that twisting things into their favor it's using things that they feel are creatures lesser than them for their use why would i fight you when i can get this guy to fight you so your players would have to be very careful to not be tricked into a combat that they don't really need to get into because this guy has a beef with that guy over there. So I would have them pulling those strings. I would. They would be very, because they're very charismatic. So they would be pulling on... All of those like showing up like a handsome guy and charming the party and to being on their side and going after this person over there because they have a beef with them and twisting things into their favor.
1: Yeah, I love it. Speaking of twisting things. If you ever want to yell at us about how we've twisted our words and had the exact wrong inspiration about how you would attack deep dragons or anything else we talk about on this podcast, you can reach out to us through Instagram, Facebook, or at r/slash it's a mimic on Reddit. And of course, you can always reach out and get us through info at it'samimic.com. You can also submit mailbag questions through the post that's on Reddit or through the other. Uh, social media accounts that I've already mentioned. But please take the time to give us positive reviews on iTunes or whatever app you're using. Share us on social media and make sure that you throw in the hashtag uh, for It's a Mimic and use your word of mouth. I hear a lot of people say, oh, I really like your podcast and we get positive feedback all the time from people. Um, But then I'm like, is everybody at your table listening? Because that'd be great. Thanks. So um, this is me. Asking nicely, like a deep dragon wouldn't, to please, please, please reach out and help. All right, that was awkward as fuck. So I'm going to move on to ancient dragons. Um, I I watched Terry just cringe more and more as I kept speaking. It was lovely.
0: Fucking an expert all over the world are going. My God, he's cracked it.
1: When it comes to ancient deep dragons, um, we're really getting more of the same with the adult. Uh, There's only some differences and most of it's mechanical. Uh, It's things like we're now a gargantuan dragon, we've gone from CR 11 to CR 18. Um, We've got our armor classes jumped between adult to ancient to be 17 to 20. The hit points uh, went from 14d12 plus 56 to 13d20 plus 65. So it's a great big jump. You're over 200 hit points at this point. The only speed difference is that Burrow is now up to 40 feet. So it matches your walking speed and your swim speed. Flying, of course, is still at 80 feet. Uh, All of your stats got bumped up by two or three points which means that Strength and Con and Charisma are still the highest. They're all above 20, and your Dexterity is the lowest with 16. Your Proficiency Modifier is still a plus 6. You get boosts to your saves for Dex, Con, Wisdom, and Charisma, and that is, again, a bump of 2 or 3 each. The skills are still Perception, Persuasion, and Stealth, which should tell you everything you need to know about how you should be uh, using these dragons. They want to talk. They want to sneak. And they definitely know you are there because they have blind sight out to 60 feet now, dark vision out to 300 feet, and a passive perception of 20. You're not sneaking up on these guys unless you're a rogue. They still have damage resistance to poison and psychic. They're immune to the charmed, frightened, and poisoned condition. And they still have the legendary resistances three times a day. Their languages don't change, so it's still common, draconic, and undercommon. And then when it comes to their physical attacks, they don't get more attacks with the multi-attack. It's the same. They just have a slightly better chance to hit. They go from a nine to plus 12 um, for bite, claw, and tail. The reaches all stay the same, and you're essentially adding a single die um, to most of the different kinds of damage that you're doing, and we're not changing any of the kinds of damage. So uh, it is worth noting, though, that for the tail attack, now it's a DC 20 strength saving throw to be knocked prone, so um, you're going to really hurt your spellcasters at this point. That's to be expected, but like, there's no rules about not being able to cast spells from your back, so I'm not sure it's super worth it. Um, Change shape is essentially the same. And your Nightmare Breath is now a 90-foot cone, which is just amazing. It's a DC 16 for adult. Well, it's a 19 wisdom save uh, for an ancient... And you don't do 6d10 psychic damage anymore. You do, you do 9d10 psychic damage. The Legendary actions are all exactly the same, except now you, it's any creature you can see within 30 feet for the commanding spores. Uh, the DC goes from 16 to 19 wisdom. Uh, and uh, you go from doing 1d10 psychic damage to 2d10 psychic damage if they're not able to make a melee weapon attack against a random creature within reach. They still get the tail attack, which I'm not sure why you would waste a legendary action on this, but fuck you do you. And then there's the spore salvo, which is the two actions um, in order to use it. And that is creatures, again, within 30 feet that they can see, which I'm assuming blind sight negates people hiding behind fucking corners. Like, they still know you're there. Um, They can still technically, quote-unquote, see you if you're invisible. Um, So it's just an odd wording on that one. DC 16 to 19, con save again. But whereas the adult dragon um was doing a 5d6 poison damage the ancient is doing a whopping 6d6 poison damage which is nothing that's not nearly enough for me to be inspired to use this spore salvo to use two actions for it i would rather just hit with that commanding spores over and over and over again
2: mm-hmm. i have 8d6 poison so, damage it's 8d6 eight eight eight
1: eight 8d6 momento i will look it up <laughs> Pages page is that it's to, uh, 173. 173 there we go you are right uh it is 86 you're right the uh the source that i was looking at was wrong online i will stick to the books from now on um so 86 poison damage again is good it's solid it's not it's it's not my favorite thing that you can be doing here uh, I would much rather be making your guys hit each other because frankly it's funnier from a DM perspective uh, when it comes to the ancient dragons uh, connections there are two really interesting ones that jumped out to me one of them is the one that is clearly draconic we've talked about it in previous episodes but don't sleep on it it's classic for a reason. And that is two ancient deep dragons are fighting over territory. They're unwilling to move against each other directly. So they use local settle- settlements and minions uh, as pawns to fight each other. That's pretty on brand. Um, but I also like the other one there. There are four listed. But the other one that jumped out to me was two ancient dragon lovers. One is a deep dragon and one is a white dragon. See each other only once every hundred years when they choose targets for a deadly hunting spree. I love so, that. Yeah. You are just part of their ritual mating dance. And they're just going to burn settlements to the ground and, and eat everything they can. I think that's a lot of fun.
2: All right. Well, let's roll some initiative for some more questions.
1: Terry, time for you to roll another 20.
0: Yeah. Six. Oh, five, though. Fuck. Two. <laughs> so first you're with still
2: first on a six.
0: Am uh, I really?
2: Yeah. <laughs> so combat encounters. What do you have for ancient?
0: Okay, uh, yeah, I'm thinking of things on a larger scale now for Ancient. We know that they do not enjoy direct combat anyway, and so they're likely going to use more like guerrilla-level tactics. So how do I do that on a larger scale? Uh, and I thought, you know, if the the Deep Dragon had recognized a threat, knowing that they have this six-mile radius of their regional effects, one which really strikes me is that restless sleep effect, If they had recognized that there was a huge force or a city or some type of large area that had determined that this dragon, for whatever reason, needs to be killed, if they could just move their lair beneath that city, five and a half miles underneath it, right, they would still be under that restless sleep regional and so that every single day they have to do that constitution saving throw or they're going to be, they're not going to be able to have reduced their exhaustion from the night before. Impossible to deal with, right? Especially if there's an enemy, they may not understand why it's happening, but essentially you could reduce an entire army to nothing just by living five and a half miles underneath them. So that would be my large scale combat technique, indirect guerrilla warfare style combat technique.
1: I don't have a lot of new to say for these these gargantuan dragons um normally i really want to lean into the size factor here but because things are so tight i mean i know you can have massive underground caverns and whatnot um, but because things are so tight you're not really going to get everything you need from the crazy speeds and the flight and and whatnot unless you're injecting these big um, these big caverns at which point I'm looking at it again from an environmental standpoint like I love what you're saying Terry about just moving within the the six miles mm-hmm. but do you see how we're using our environment over and over and over again in order to make this a unique dragon um outside of the the nightmare breath and the commanding spores it seems to be mostly dragon tactics as normal Mm -hmm. um, which is of course pick them up and drop them but it's also the flyby attacks and the um the throwing waves of minions at them and make sure that you were fighting within their lair never have them at this point out in the open fighting outside of their lair because they're going to be smart enough to know uh, that they want to rely on their lair tactics um, and their layer actions and whatnot. Honestly, you can take a better hit, but it's not great. Your AC is only 20. You're going to get shut down by a lot of the tier four stuff that the players are wielding at this point. So keep distance, use every tactic you possibly can, and don't fight until you are backed into a corner. Yeah. And with Passwall, you should never be backed into a corner.
2: I think with at Ancient, they have enough allies and pull in... If you think of an ancient dragon, they don't just have one horde, right? They don't just have one layer. They yeah. have layers spanning vast spaces from, you know, mile, hundreds of miles apart from each other. So they've got these set up all over the Underdark. They've got, and they're all by cities of allies. So they are creating armies. They, they've got loyal followers at this point so if you go up against one of these you're gonna have to bring an army of your own or that you have no ch- choice chance of even like getting close to it so it would be a very I think large scale battle because you're not gonna sneak up on it so you're not gonna take it by surprise you know
1: that's a that's a really interesting point for the first time you have an army that is loyal not cultists not just kobolds but for your evil dragon has a loyal army that is willing to fight to the death because they are so social right Mm -hmm. and they're not evil and they do make deals and i it doesn't say anywhere they're liars so they're making deals and holding up their end of the bargain right Mm -hmm. people are going to love them for it and they're, at this point, powerful enough to hold most of, if not all of the things in the Underdark at bay. So it behooves you to nestle up next to a deep dragon and swear fealty. Because the Underdark is super deadly. So these guys will provide the opportunity to live longer and easier lives. That's something to think about. I assume that Darrow and Duragar and Koatoa and whoever it is can feed on this fungus that grows as well. Like, that's gotta be food.
2: Yeah. I mean, it does specifically say if you were to forage in that area it yields twice as much food so that would it's vegetation and fungi within six miles
0: yeah there you go
2: all right and that brings us to your exploration encounters
0: oh yeah that's me um yeah i think we're we're at a point now where this uh this this kind of thirst for knowledge has got to a point where you're probably leaving like the prime material plane and i'm sure there there may now be reasons why this deep dragon if they're going to work with you um is seeking knowledge from the other planes you know uh from it may be even as crazy as like the Far Realms or certainly like, you know, the Abyss or something like that. Um, and of course, it's very dangerous for dragons to leave their own realm and go and seek that themselves. So this is a perfect way uh, for you to get wrapped up in that. And you may now be at the point where you want to do some interplanar travel. I think this is a great reason to set that up. Great plot hook for it.
1: Yeah, I was going to lean into the um, alternate versions of the Underdark as well. Uh, It's been a while since we've done our Underdark episode, so I don't know how many people remember this, but there's a radiation in there called Faresris, which has all sorts of magical properties, and it makes it different than just being underground. Uh, it also has a huge effect on plant life and magic in general, and specifically drow culture. I would absolutely have it be something that the deep dragons rely on, um, and I would have it have different effects if you are planar hopping to different underdarks or their version of it. Um, and I know that the Forgotten Realms is the one that traditionally has the underdark, but I don't see any reason why there couldn't be a plane or i i think that i would apply this to the to kyber which is the underground portion of um eberron right you can get down to the depths of ravnica and find pockets of this as well where deep dragons live you could really lean into the different kinds of radiation that have different side effects um for different versions and if you've got a deep dragon over here that has been leaning into the myconid colony well over there it's veggie pygmies right and then uh, over there it's going to be some other kind of plant monster that are all affected differently because of the different environments that they're in so something that i would think about at fourth level i would be jumping from under dark to under dark and that's going to be weirdly disorienting as
3: well
2: Both of your answers kind of sparked an idea in my head. What about the multiverse? Like we haven't really touched on that yet with these guys and there being other versions of this specific deep dragon. And with as much as they want knowledge and things from far off lands, would they be exploring the multiverse and their other versions of themselves? Could they essentially turn into a great worm like the other
0: dragons can. Uh, I mean, it makes sense, but that's also why it'd be so dangerous for them to go and explore these uh, you know, the multiverse themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a threat, right? So yeah.
1: Honestly, I absolutely would do this, and I would be using the chromatic great worm as kind of the inspiration, the template to throw this at. Honestly, you're just changing the breath weapon and the resistances, Mm -hmm. so it's not hard to turn an ancient uh, deep dragon into a great worm just by using fizz bands.
2: Yeah, I I think that if um, any dragon would want to be that level of power and knowledge, it would be this one for me. Right. What about social encounters?
0: Yeah, social encounters is tough, right? When you get to this ancient level, especially with a deep dragon. I think uh, Adam mentioned earlier, somebody mentioned something about politics and that got me thinking, I think that kind of lines up, you know, so it's like social interaction or social influence on a grander scale at this point and and, and politics uh, leans right into that. And, you know, you can be an agent for these dragons to to help influence the people on a, on a larger level, particularly if you're competing and and Adam point out as well that they're not necessarily liars but they are deal makers they are influencers so you could have a political opponent in another dragon where they are schemers but they are liars as well so like a green dragon for example and you could have this kind of uh almost like a, like a political uh contest which is essentially social influence on a grander scale between uh a neutral or more truthful uh, party and a lying, scheming party on the other side.
1: I want to lean into that a little bit more. And I would have, um, I, I like everything you're saying, Terry. I was thinking about having a plot hook. When you start to tier four, you are invited to the Council of Worms. And spelled with a Y, of course, because we're talking dragons. So the Council of Worms uh, is, uh, there are three different um, sections uh, or factions that are being represented um, with five different humanoids each sitting there uh, talking in a big chamber with one essentially judge presiding over these negotiations acting as a moderator between these three different factions um and the it's chromatic dragons shape-shifted because they should fucking have that in fifth edition and then of course the metallics have done their uh, change shape as well the gem dragons are there representing themselves and it is the deep dragon because he thinks that all dragons should get along who that's going to be the moderator and i really like the idea of with the white eyes that it looks like there's this blind old man mm-hmm. sitting there presiding over the council of worms talking about how to uh, carve up territory which different um hordes belong to whom now that and uh, a great worm has died How are we divvying this up, right? There's been an incursion from another reality, and many of our ancient dragons have died, leaving our reality very weak. How are we going to handle this as a unit, right? And there's this one, even though he is the weakest one there and can be overpowered by any one of them, he is the truly neutral party on behalf of the dragons. Of course, he's going to side with the bad guys to be like oh sure yeah we we can just burn them down like why not just murder everybody that's that's perfectly fine they are our enemies so fuck them right like it's not enough to make peace with the other realities we will have to destroy them how are we going to do that right and it's going to be really interesting dynamic to see this moderator working among all the others and then your party because you're freaking superheroes at this point your level 16 is invited to the talks to be a part of this um or at least to witness because you're going to be the instrument that's going to be used to go off plane hopping to go fight this shit right so yeah so that's my big my big social encounter there is the idea that these deep dragons are moderators for dragon kind but only for dragon kind i love it
2: that's very close to what i, I made a mental
0: note to outright steal it so
2: that's <laughs> really, very yeah. close to what i had i was thinking like like the mob family, like summits and all the like big heads of family come in and they have all these guest suites and they have that, um, big chamber where they have receptions and stuff. And, and like you said, you can win favor with them. They do notice you if you do great things, um, and you can be respected by them if you do enough things that catch their attention. Um, so I would very much, I have very much have the same, the same idea there where you have like all of the big heads of all of the dragons come in and have like a safe summit. And I mean, they are the weakest of the dragons, like you said, Adam, but only physically no other dragon has that loyal following that they do. So even if something attacked them on their ground in their summit, they're not getting far away. You know, they're going to, go out and have a whole army of allies that are going to know that something went down and you know so it sort of puts everybody into a certain point of check to behave
1: and you got to keep in mind too that their army is going to react differently than others you Mm -hmm. have to assume that gold and silver and even bronze dragons have armies that follow them that Mm -hmm. are loyal but these are armies that get out to the battlefield and they sit there with their lines of soldiers with the archers standing behind them and like it's very uh game of thrones looking
2: yeah i was just gonna say these are very like Daenerys level armies like the level of loyalty that yeah. she imposes but and it's it... not because she's physically the strongest but it's because she inspires the most amount of loyalty and charisma and helpfulness you know she will protect you but if you follow her
1: the other thing too about these armies is that when it comes to the deep dragons you're not out in the battlefield fighting them they're not Mm -hmm. coming up to the surface half of them are sunlight sensitive most of them can't even fucking get there so you're going down into their world in their realm and now you are not fighting in the open battlefield like it's 1812 you're fighting the Viet Cong. And it's very fucking different. And so Mm. these armies, they may not be as numerous, although they very likely could be. They're going to be nasty. It's traps. It is dead ends. It's, we don't have to fight you if we can flood the chamber, right? And there's going to be a lot of that shit. Mm. And the Deep Dragon is smart enough they're a master tactician they connive they make deals and they have allies they're going to be a real problem um they're going to have these tactics and these strategies they're going to use the environment against you in ways you've never thought of before uh and so as a dm these guys it would be so easy to play these guys as really smart um my problem with that is that it's look i control the world i'm supposed to lose at the end right that's my job as a dm let the players win it's going to be really hard to play these guys as intelligent and yet have their plans fail so you've got to really telegraph what's going to happen early um, for the players to be able to outsmart the deep dragon and have those twists and turns be big and epic but go in both directions right for both the good guys as well as the bad guys
2: Yeah, I think it would be playing like so many levels of chess, like so many games at the same time, because you're not just playing against the deep dragon itself, but you're playing against all of these cities that you encounter and all of these civilizations, and they've got their hand in all of them, and they've got their motivations in all of them. So even if you don't realize you're dealing with them, you're dealing with them.
3: Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
2: All right, well, that wraps up this episode on Deep Dragons, but we're not even close to being done with dragons. So subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspiration and insights we'll have for you in the future. The next time we circle back to dragons, we'll finally be jumping into gem dragons.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com, as well as a store for some awesome merch. We also rely on word of mouth to get news of the podcast out there to the community. So please pass on the word to everyone you know that we're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get.
2: This has been an It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, requests, and questions for our mailbags can be sent to info at itsamimic.com.
1: How long would you last if you had to live solely underground with only a small group of people like could you survive in the underdark or would you go nuts without big open spaces and and sunlight roll for it I want to hear what you guys. Okay. Okay.
0: Oh, natural 20 I got.
1: I got I got a 13. So Terry, how would you do in the underground. For the rest of your life
0: horrendous terrible i i get depressed within like an hour of rain which is why the pacific northwest is the best place to live in the world ever uh no i have to be i need open spaces i actually need to be close to the ocean that i need that expanse out in front of me uh, that i can see it makes me feel more uh, secure it makes me feel like the threats are only coming from one side uh, but when i'm trapped I I hate that and I especially hate other people being close to me all the time. Not like for an hour or two when I'm playing D&D, but like constantly, I can't stand that. COVID was awesome.
1: I uh, I know that I can live underground for about 17 months before I lose my shit because of COVID. <laughs> I live in <laughs> a basement suite. I stayed here for 17 months and saw people very fucking sporadically right. and lost my shit really quickly. I was calling Dan on a regular basis being like, hey, you know what we should do? 24-hour episodes. That was a pitch I had one time. <laughs> That's because I needed to do something. It was bad.
0: It's okay. Everybody went crazy in a different way. I feel like it stopped uh, me from judging people so much. I was like, oh no, that was just, it's just crazy. That's yeah. okay. We all had it.
2: Yeah, probably not. I probably wanted, to, I did not do well in quarantine. Um, I'm the type of person that needs to be around other people. A hundred percent. For me, my dealing with quarantine was starting new hobbies and that's how I got into terrain building. So I would just like go out to the garage and start cutting foam because I needed to do something.
1: and you kicked ass at it too like you you have really it's it's not you were already pretty good at it when you started because you were you know model brained in the first place Mm -hmm. however it was uh, like you have come leaps and fucking bounds yeah it's really good when are you gonna
2: start selling it oh I don't know I've been asked to do like commissions for for minis and stuff and I feel like that just adds so much more pressure to it because that it like has to be good (laughs)
0: You don't ever want to start to resent something. Yeah, like I don't. It's your time to get away from your job.
2: Exactly. Like it's my my therapy and I don't want that to become stressful. So like I'm cool with like building something and giving it to somebody or like painting something as a gift because you can't complain if it's free. But (laughs) like you can complain if you pay for it.
1: So can I can I request things? Can I do that? Uh, you could like-
2: try. You can certainly try.
1: <laughs> I can certainly <laughs> try. That was a no fuck off.
2: <laughs> that's, I'm the DM of this episode. I had to throw it in there somewhere.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Wormlings.
0: Like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Not a grower or a worm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sure. Okay, I'll take us to Wormlings.
1: Yay. That's Yay. an episode.
0: Good job, guys.
3: Yay. Oh, I'm still on this.
2: Thanks for listening. Bye.